First of all, it was October. A rare month for boys. Not that all months aren't rare, but there be bad and good, as the pirates say. Take September, a bad month. School begins. Consider August, a good month. School hasn't begun yet. July, well, July's really fine. There's no chance in the world for school. June, no doubting it. June's best of all. For the school doors spring wide and September's a billion years away. But you take October now. School's been on a month and you're riding easier in the rains, jogging along. You got time to think of the garbage you'll dump on old man Priggett's porch or the hairy ape costume you wear to the YMCA at the last night of the month. And if it's around October 20th and everything smoky smelling and the sky orange and ash gray at twilight, it seems Halloween will never come in a fall of broomsticks and a soft flap of bedsheets around the corners. But one strange, wild, dark, long year, Halloween came early. One year, Halloween came on October 24th, three hours after midnight. At that time, James Nightshade of 97 Oak Street was 13 years, 11 months, 23 days old. Next door, William Holloway was 13 years, 11 months, and 24 days old. Both touched toward 14. It almost trembled in their hands. And that was the October week when they grew up overnight and were never so young anymore. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. all you ghosts and goblins, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. The podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as spooky as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Hey, pal. Hey, man. Little little uh, something wicked this way, huh? Oh, yeah, man. In the intro, Ray Bradbury's Finest. Just one of both of our favorite books. And yep. so I knew you would get it the second I started reading it. But but I, I, just... I, I really was thinking that you were getting into The Thief of Always for a minute. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, he has another story called The Halloween Tree, which embarrassingly enough, I've never read. Yeah, I never have either. Hmm. I always see it. I, I, it looks awesome, but... Uh, and I, I hear it's great, but I've never read it. Well, sounds like we got something to add to our Christmas list, huh? Tis the season. So in our ever, uh, our ever quest to ever, ever, our ever quest to research the topics that we're going to be doing, well, all the time, but specifically for the October Spooktacular, actually came across something 
that was somewhat related to something that we're going to talk about in a future episode this month that I thought, man, I think this is a really good topic Mm -hmm. that we need to kind of bring to the listeners because number one, I'd actually never heard of it. Speaking of embarrassing, I've even been here and didn't even know about it then and could have totally visited this place. Yeah, I mean, this, this is one of those things that, I mean, first of all, I'd never heard of it either, which, I mean, they, they stumped us both. But I will say it was immediately fascinating, and to me at least, it felt like there was a correlation on to a topic that we covered in a past episode, and that was the Fomorians. Mm-hmm. And if, if that's not a hint for you, today we're talking about Take it away. Okay. <laughs> the uh, what's known as the Irish Hell Caves. One of the things that I love about our studio setup, well, I guess just our collection of books, man. And mm-hmm. when we were researching, I was like, you know, I wonder. Gosh, I wonder if one of these books has something about it. And sure enough, man, I kind of found it. Oh, so here's the thing, folks. We're going to have to go back um, close to about 2,000 years ago. Okay. We're talking about an era when a knight traveling through the rolling fields and pastures and forest-cloaked hills of Ireland would come upon a river that had a flock of white sheep grazing on one side and a flock of black sheep grazing on the other. From time to time, a sheep from one flock waded through the water toward the opposite bank And as it did so, its color changed. Hmm. We're talking about a time when a traveler might see mist swathing the turrets of a castle that moments before had gleamed in the sunlight. If he ventured through the gate into the hall, he might find it completely deserted, except for a golden gaming board on which silver men played a game like chess amongst themselves, making their moves without the aid of human hands. We're talking about a time when a wanderer might glimpse a horse. Wait, wait, wait. Take that again. You said wander. wanderer. Wanderer. No, no, that was good. You said wanderer the first a time. Wanderer. <laughs> we're, talk- we're talking about a time when a wanderer might glimpse a horse cantering over the surface of the sea as if it were solid turf. Mm. Or maybe even see a man turn into an eagle and soar into the clouds. All of those occurrences and many more were reported and ascribed, of course, to the workings of magic. But in a world so shifting and uncertain, you see, they started to discover that there were places in our world, especially back then, and I'm sure even now, that they would consider to be the in-between places. Rivers and borders, and at all edges, verges, brinks, rims, fringes, also known as the liminal spaces. Anything might happen and chaos could be loose Mm -hmm. upon the world. It made no difference whether these were borders of space or time either. Caves are obviously the thresholds between the open air and the solidity of earth. They're often described to be entrances to the world of spirits. So in the middle of a field, in a lesser known part of Ireland, is a large mound that is occupied by sheep. Now, when you're driving through Ireland and you've kind of 
begun to get more familiar with the teeny tiny roads that you're supposed to drive on, you'll notice, man, as you're driving through, there's just fields and fields of sheep. I mean, sometimes they're up on like these cliffs and stuff. They're just, it's amazing. Mm. And I guess the shepherds and stuff will actually like spray paint a symbol on their um, wool in like different colors. Mm. So you'll see a white sheep with like a neon orange like symbol. You're like, oh, okay. Uh, Do we need to turn around? Anyway. So it's not uncommon to kind of just see many of these sort of grassy knolls and mounds and sheep just kind of all over the place. In other words, what I'm describing here could easily blend in with the rest of the scenery. What's interesting, though, is even as I myself kind of drive by these places, or if you're thinking of just the sheep in general, myself or the sheep, 2,000 years ago, would probably have been extremely terrified to be walking or even passing by this particular area. Considered by the ancient Celts to be a passage between Ireland and its devil-infested other world called Oin Nagat, which means Cave of the Cats. Oh, right, yeah. This was actually the birthplace of the Samhain Festival. Now, a real quick note here. If you think Tyler and I are terrible at pronouncing Bostonian or Massachusetts words. Which we are. Which we're terrible at it. Yeah. Uh, and also thanks, John, for that uh, correction from, I think it was last week's show. Um, yep. Any help we can get. Yeah. Send if it you think way. we're bad there, ladies and gentlemen, just wait until we start t- trying to uh, attempt Celtic words or oh Irish uh, words. I'm sure I'm going to get it wrong. Just to give you an example I'm not even sure how they, obviously the English alphabet that they're using to spell spell these words has a completely different phonetic sound because Samhain is the pronunciation, but it's spelled Mm -hmm. Sam Hain. Yeah. Okay. Right. So not giving myself an excuse, but yeah. Yeah. Gaelic, Celtic, all that stuff is so confusing. And I mean, I, I just, I cannot imagine how a small child learns to read with that language because you're looking at something that that is not the same as the way it sounds. Right, exactly. God Um, bless them. Where am I at here, man? Um, The Cave of Cats. Mm. Yeah, so it was the the Cave of Cats or uh, Oenegat, which was the birthplace of the Samhain Festival and also the birthplace Halloween. After these messages, we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Fighters for truth, justice, 
and they better do it. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. Now, Halloween of old is far from the child-friendly event that it's become. Now, as you know, being a listener of our show, we haven't really exactly uh, kept this a secret, but Tyler and I both are huge fans of Halloween. Mm-hmm. And the childish aspect, too, man. I mean, I can't wait to dress up this year. Yeah. But really, in reality and history, according to Irish archaeologists, Halloween can actually trace its origins to a bloody and eerie ritual marked in Rathcrahan, a former mm. Celtic center buried beneath the farmland of Ireland's county, Roscommon. Just to give you a, just to give you some credentials here, Curly is an expert of Rothcrohan, and Rothcrohan's actually the ancient, I'm sorry, was the hub of the ancient Irish kingdom of Connaught. And at the heart of Rothcrohan, at this monumental mound, is where animals and stuff were sacrificed at a mighty pagan temple during Samhain. Mm. To give you some geographic, sort of geographical context here, Rothcrohan is right across about two and a half square miles of extremely rich agricultural land. And it boasts about 240 archaeological sites. Everything from burial mounds to ring forts, standing stones. Oh, there's even an Iron Age ritual sanctuary. And, of course, what we really came here to talk about, which is the the Owenagat, the so-called gate to hell. Mm. Now, when we do rewind back 2,000 years ago, you know, it's so hard for me even to kind of fathom what the world was like back then. You know, I mean, you're talking about a time when a distant island uh, nation like Ireland primarily hadn't even heard much about Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And... So you've got these folks that are kind of, I won't say secluded, but somewhat uh, secluded from the rest of the world who have their own traditions, rituals, beliefs, all that stuff, right? And Mm -hmm. at the time, paganism was really the dominant religion around Ireland's Celtic people. So here in Rathcrohan, and I'm going to say that a million different ways, most of them incorrect, (laughs) is where like this New Year festival of Samhain was born. Now, it's important to understand the way that the pagan calendar was kind of split up. Essentially, the year was split into summer and winter. And then within that year, they would have these four different festivities. The first one was called Imbolc, which started on February 1st. And it was like a spring festival, right? And so that's where they would sort of be, you know, Uh, performing rituals or, you know, singing and dancing, whatever it would be to encourage good crops, good uh, flocks of lambs, things like that. Right. Then you've got, man. Oh, Beltane. Beltane Mm -hmm. on May 1st, which marked the end of winter and involved customs like like washing one's face in dew, plucking the first blooming flowers and dancing around a decorated tree. Again, it might sound somewhat silly to a more modern mind, but you're talking about folks that are deeply rooted and 
almost 100% of their livelihood was so determinant on nature, right? Oh, yeah. And so they were able to sort of really kind of be closer to the overall sort of quote-unquote power of nature. So, of course, they were going to try to do what they could to kind of celebrate and uh, also, you know, in a sense, pray or wish for mm-hmm. a good upcoming season. Yeah, it was kind of a way, I think, I mean, God, I, I feel like we talk about Neil Gaiman and American Gods as much as we talk about Tim Marshanko and disembodied voices. But it's that that way of sort of paying uh, like a tribute or uh, paying like, you know, an offering or like sort of pray adulation, praise to like the gods to for a, a good season, a good harvest mm-hmm. to help help, you know, brave through, a, a you know, a cold winter, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I think also another sort of misconception. I mean, I was guilty of this whenever I was high school, in high school. You would essentially hear the word pagan and you'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. evil. Right. Yeah. And I don't, you know, call it what it is, uh, you know, whatever you want. Is it a propaganda campaign by, you know, uh, I, I don't know. All I'm saying is when we are talking about paganism in mm-hmm. this context, we're not necessarily, we're not talking about it being like a uh, devil worshiping type mm-hmm. situation right. here. If anything, well, as we'll come to see, it's more of the things that they do are actually trying to uh, repel any kind of demons or devils. So, yeah, and, and real quick, I also think that it's, I mean, you got to look through the lens of, you know, the time and the area. I mean, extremely rural. I mean, whenever we say that, you know, they were sort of um, like paying like homage or offerings to the land. I mean, like the land was like what they lived in. It wasn't uh, this sort of isolated existence like we have where we're constantly indoors. We're constantly, you know, it's like there's days where I'll only go outside for a few minutes. Like these people <laughs> were like in it. <laughs> well, yeah, days. Uh, but I mean, these people. Tyler's skin hasn't touched the sun. The sunlight hasn't touched Tyler's yeah. like skin. Yeah. His epi- epidermis. Yeah. In yeah. at least 18 months. Correct. <laughs> um, but these people were like in it. They were intimate with the, the you know, the signs of like, you know, seasonal changes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I kind of think, a sort of modern carryover is like, or, or things like the Farmer's Almanac. Dude, I was just about to say that, yes. Yeah. And is where, there anybody listening right now that would consider the Farmer's Almanac to be demonic? No. So. Wait, uh-oh. You're about to say yes? Well. Here we go. So my grandpa was a huge, he, he was a farmer. My I've, I come from like a family of, of farmers and stuff. He religiously had a Farmer's Almanac and it was Throughout my entire childhood, it was always correct. He was like, "I don't yeah. know how they do it, but you know, they're 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 wiser men than me, and they they they've just figured out like the the different signs that sort of you know point to like what what our winters are going to look like mm-hmm. or what our summers are going to look like." And but he would say, you know, but because he was also a deacon at our our church growing up, or little Blue Creek Baptist Church, and um, he he would tell me that, you know, not everybody is into this, so, you know, you don't always, like, want to, like, talk about it because you don't know if somebody is, like, sort of offended by that. 
Yeah, they may burn you at the stake over Creek Baptist. <laughs> now, one of the things that, because uh, we kind of got a little bit off track, but what else is new? But we were talking yeah, about Beltane, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Also known as May Day. Uh, remember, I, I said that one of the things would be like a custom of washing one's face and do. Now, again, I kind of, I think I may have even, I'd have to rewind and go back and listen, but I think I may have chuckled a little bit at that idea. But here's something really interesting to give you some more context of why they would have done that. In this book that we've got, it's um, it's actually one that we talked about, I don't even, maybe the first season, Wizards and Witches, uh, mm-hmm. the Enchanted World. Yeah. It says, do likewise is poised at the limits of definition. Though water, it comes not from sea, river, or spring, but from the air. It does not flow with gravity, but rests lightly on leaf or grass blade. And it comes and goes at yet another borderline, the division between night and day. Mm-hmm. There were those who thought that dew mysteriously digested sunlight and made it in into gold. You see, dawn and dusk were magical times, for they divided the fundamental elements of existence, night from day, darkness from light, the period when evil was abroad from the time when it was banished to its secret sanctuaries. Mm-hmm. So I just think that it's like, okay, if you look at something just at the surface level, you hear somebody going outside and brushing their hands on the grass and then wiping their face, you think, boy, howdy. You know, these guys aren't really civilized, huh? Yeah, well, right. then when you learn about why they think of dew in such high regard, man, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, I, and oddly enough, you know, me, you know, I'm a, a person of faith. I mean, it is interesting because uh, I would not consider myself very typical in that way mm-hmm. uh, because— I am open-minded to these things, and having an open mind uh, when looking at these things, it really does allow you to see that, like, oh, wait a minute, in, like, you know, the modern sort of Christian tradition, I mean, man, it is highly steeped in, quote-unquote, like, pagan traditions. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think that was probably—sorry, I hit the mic. I think that was probably, like, part of it, you know, in a way to— you know, the, the sort of Christians would sort of settle into a land and they would adopt certain like holidays and customs of like the people and then sort of also claim them for themselves. So, I mean, I know there's a few different ways of looking at that as like, oh, well, it's you're appropriating of whatever. But then at the same time, mm-hmm. it's like, well, at least they were sort of still in a way allowing the people to carry on those traditions. Mm-hmm. In a way, I don't know. I'm sort of indifferent on that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean. What, what else is cool about it, though? It just it sh- goes to show what stands the test of time and what doesn't. And one of those things mm-hmm. is tradition, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a big stickler on tradition. I love it. I, yeah, you me know, too. It's part of the reason I love the college that I went to here in Georgia, but then also Texas and where my parents went. There's so much tradition, Aggies. you know, and <laughs> Giga Maggies and. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh man we're laughing because i know nothing nothing about, about uh any sports but uh, that's okay which yeah. remind me later i want to talk to you about this sports manga that i started reading that is maybe one of the best things i've ever read in my life dude there's ed pisker you know from yeah cartoonist kayfabe his favorite manga are like the ones that are there first of all there's a manga for everything but there's yeah. like 
he's like, yeah, there's there's one that's like this dodgeball manga that maybe it's very, or <laughs> yeah. like tennis, swimming. Yeah, dude. Yeah. There's one for everything. The it's one crazy. I'm talking about is called Slam Dunk. You know, it's like early 90s basketball, dude. It's freaking oh, nice. incredible, bro. Does it sort of utilize any of that NBA Jams era? Oh, dude. The, 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 and I'll put all this in the Patreon. The, the, um, we'll return after these messages. This is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. So then the third festival, August 1st, it starts, um, I think it's pronounced Lugenstad, which is a harvest festival dedicated to the god Lu and presided over by Celtic kings. Then, mm. finally, on October 31st, Here we go. came Samhain. Yeah. And so basically, this is when another, past, what they call pastoral year, ended and another one began. So in other words, mm-hmm. you, if you think about it in terms of that is the beginning and end, that's their New Year's Eve, okay? New because, Year's Eve, yeah. Because right. the next, uh, you know, sort of, seasons we're, we're going to begin this one's kind of celebrating okay winter's about to come okay I, which by the way i'm glad you said that because i've all to me that's always made so much more sense than our new year's eve because it's like it's like oh of course like the harvest and now we're mm-hmm. going into winter it's like that's that would be like a new year so yeah yeah uh, that's always made and it's sort of like the end of if you look at it in terms of like what nature's doing Right, everything's kind of dying off. Everything's and dying. Then all of a sudden, yep. things are going to be. Oh, it's new. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We got a lot of months until then. If it ends in October and starts in November, but any ways, <laughs> these guys living in their caves. All right. Dragons. Something important here. So Rothkrahen actually was not a town, and Connaught had no proper sort of urban center, and it really kind of consisted only of like scattered rural property so imagine these grasslands and hill country with just your thatch roof house here and there with farmers taking advantage of all that space and land to raise crops or their or their flocks which by the way are we talking about an area that has still somewhat sort of remained the same dude here's what yes but i'll get to that in just a second so that's cool Rothkrahen itself was actually the kingdom's meeting place and the key venue for a lot of these, or all of these festivals. During Samhain in particular, though, Rothkrahen was said to just be bustling with activity, focused on its elevated temple, which was surrounded by burial grounds for, uh, I guess, some of the uh, elite families of that region. Hmm. So for the most part, like a lot of the privileged folks may have lived even closer to that area and then kind of as you kind of uh, went down the class ladder so to speak you'd be sort of further and further away so think of Rothkrahen as the it's where everything 
everybody wants, that's like their capital kind of. Mm-hmm. So everybody wants to live closer, but you know, you got to have the, the money to do it. And they would really only kind of descend on this area during the festivals. And at these events, they would trade goods, they would feast, exchange gifts, play games, uh, you know, arrange marriages, uh, announce declarations of war or peace, you know, fun stuff like that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, imagine it's just like, hey, man, you guys, you guys going to the festival this weekend? Heck yeah, man. You get there and they're like, my family wants to fight your family in an inter- eternal blood war. And you're like, boy, I just came for the turkey legs, man. Like, hey, Tom, glad to have you. This is war. (laughs) Oh, man. That's Um, crazy. So amongst all the things that they would do, they would also do, of course, like I said, ritual offerings. A lot of times uh, these gifts were directed toward the spirits of Ireland's underworld. And uh, let's see. Here, try to say that. Try to say that word. um, Tirnanach. Yep, there it is. Got it. It's a difficult one. Yeah. This is this is the best, man. Now we're starting to get steeped in. And if you can't tell, I just, I remember, man, when I went to Ireland, you're like, dude, I'm so excited for you. It's a magical place. And I mm. thought, yeah, cool, man. Even whenever I went in, I could feel the vibes, the, the way it looks. It looks magical. But as I've started to really kind of get into this traditions and these uh these traditions these this archaeology and mm-hmm. all that it becomes more and more apparent that boy i wish i would have known a lot of this stuff before yeah. i went over because it really really is magical and so some of these or the ritual offerings that they made were again directed toward the spirits of ireland's underworld that is known as tirnanog yep. which was inhabited by celtic devils fairies and leprechauns yeah Here's the thing, and here's where it comes into play during Samhain. It is said that some of these demons escaped via Owenagat Cave. Mm. And again, this sounds mighty similar to uh, the Fomorian stuff. Mm -hmm. Remember, they were supposedly like scared off or run yeah, off right, exactly. the island. Yeah. And and Woody and I, our if you go back to that episode, uh, you can hear that. Hear this incredible story on That Would Be Rad, Season 3, Episode 27, The Fomorians, The Lost Children of the Nephilim. Our sort of belief or possible sort of take on it is like, well, maybe, maybe some of them, you know, were sent back on a ship and sent off, but maybe the other ones, you know, sort of descended into the underworld yeah. or were able to kind of change planes, which would later become like fairies, possibly. And the significance of this time period, and I think a lot of folks listening at some point have, have probably heard this before, but the significance of Samhain and its timing and everything, it said that during this time, Samhain was when the invisible wall between the living world and the other world disappeared completely. Yep. So where the words, veil was the thinnest. Yeah, exactly. And a whole party of fearsome, otherworldly beasts emerge to ravage the surrounding landscape and make it ready for winter. And see, even that kind of, I can see... Yeah. This is going to sound insulting at first, and I promise you I don't mean it, but 
I Uh-oh. can see sort of that more simplistic worldview creating that, right? And so in other words, right after that last day of October, all the crops, the trees have lost their leaves, things are just dying off. And you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and you can kind of almost trace that back to some sort of oral story that someone was telling their children like, and at night, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Anyway. Absolutely. So apparently it, 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 there's this like almost tightrope walk here where the Celts were on one hand thankful for the agricultural efforts of these spirits, but then also kind of wary of falling victim to their fury. And so in order to protect themselves from physical harm, they would light ritual fires on hilltops and fields in order to avoid being kind of dragged down into the depths of Ternanog. Did I say it right? Mm -hmm. Ternanog by these devils. They disguise themselves. Here we go, trick-or-treaters. They would disguise themselves as fellow ghouls and goblins. Mm, There we are. And here we are 2,000 years later Mm -hmm. dressing up on All Hallows' Eve ourselves to, you know, get some candy and all that. But... Mm -hmm in a sense, kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And here's what's cool. Just like you, Tyler, I thought, now, boy, I wonder if this place is just like, okay, everybody, like, punch your ticket, go see the hell caves, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I will say, thankfully, Ireland isn't so... um, Now, if this was a place in America, you're dang right. And we'd probably be the ones selling it. Oh, yeah. But in Ireland, thankfully... It's actually a spot that, I mean, you could honestly drive right past it and not even notice it. It blends so well with the surrounding area that you just wouldn't even know where you were. There's no signage. There's no like, oh, you know, this, you know, follow this trail and stuff like that. Now, because of the internet and all that, I think you can probably find it. There probably are some like B&Bs out there where someone says, you know. The birthplace of Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. See, and that kind of thing is really fascinating to me, that idea of, I I don't know, it's like that, like, if this truly is, like, uh, the the birthplace of of what is now known as Halloween or Samhain, it's so interesting to me that, that, like what he said, you know, this is something that we still celebrate. And for the most part, it's still... The customs have remained unchanged, Mm -hmm. you know, over in America 2,000 years later. But yet, you know, again, go back to American gods and stuff. If you haven't read this, none of what – whenever we reference that (laughs) book, I I know that it makes no sense. But I have to saw the TV show, but I – I thought it was okay, but it wasn't – it was – all the characters look totally different in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. but all that being said, it is interesting when you have these places that are like so pivotal and then you see them now and they're they're sort of run down or decrepit, like they've lost their, their power, their mm-hmm. magic or whatever. It reminds me of when I was over there, there was just across the street, there's this national park and we would just go on little hikes and stuff. Well, there was this old abbey that was back there and it was like incredible sort of this stonework and stuff. Obviously, mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, almost ruins and stuff, but it was still pretty well preserved. And then there's like grass and and moss growing up the sides of it and all this. And it just makes it incredible. Man. I mean, basically, 
there's Ireland is apparently so dense with historical remains that mm-hmm. so many just are kind of just out in the woods. So it's like, you know, you you kind of wander around North Georgia, for example. Yeah. And you could probably get out into the woods, especially, you know, extreme North Georgia, you're up in the mountains, and you might stumble across like an old um, mountain family uh, sort of, I don't know how else to put it, but just like little family cemetery. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like some old Civil War graves or an old church that's just out in the wood, out in the woods or, you know, an old chimney that's just there or chimney as you, as you I was going to say, say, you, you that's always, what you always said. And, it's, it's and also folks, if you're hearing this, would he actually edit it out him saying chimney the first time? No, I did not. Stop. Okay. So anyway, um, so for the for the most part, like there's a lot of these that just haven't been touched, and this includes Rathcrawhan. Mm-hmm. And some experts even say that it might even be Europe's largest unexcavated royal complex. And wow. not only is has it never been dug up, but it also this is insane. It also predates Ireland's written history. So a lot wow. of this stuff has to be kind of pieced together, unfortunately. Um, using, you know, artifacts that are found in the vicinity and then just kind of really combing through a lot of these truly Irish-born archaeologists who have, uh, I guess, some skin in the game, so to speak, for mm-hmm. the truth behind this history and, and finding its rich origins and stuff is, is kind of what's going on there. I mean, basically, they have applied to make, to, to make it be a World Heritage Site Mm-hmm. whatever that means. And the Irish government has included uh, Rothkrogan as part of the royal sites of Ireland um, in a list or something. So, mm-hmm. you know, apparently you could, uh, there there are ways uh, to find how to um, find the cave. It's and, weird that, hmm? well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it is weird that it would be on like a an official uh you know, government registry, but there wouldn't be like, like a sign, you know, I mean, stuff over here in the U.S., mm-hmm. like things like that, they're always going to have like a plaque or a sign that, yeah. you know. So they're applying to get that official branding by the, I don't know, there's this uh, organization, I guess, that, uh, you know, handles all that. And it says uh, that same guy, Daniel Curley, says that if Reth Krogan got a uh, UNESCO listing, that's the name of that organization, Hmm. And that attracted more attention here. That would be great, he says, because it might result in more funding to look further into the site and look after the site. But, he says, we want sustainable tourism, not a rush of gimmicky Halloween tourism. I don't... He also said, those travelers who do seek out Rathcrogan might have trouble finding its hell cave. Owenot is elusive, despite being the birthplace of Samhain, and also the birthplace of actually one of the most famous queens in Irish history uh, named Medb. Interesting name. I'm hmm. sure it's, you know, actually pronounced Lucy. Yeah. It says it is barely signposted and hidden beneath trees in a waterlogged paddock at the end of a one-way dead-end road about a thousand yards south of a much more accessible temple mound. Visitors that are brave enough could hop a fence, walk through a field, and descend into the narrow passage of the cave. Hmm. I mean, is it one of those things where, or maybe, 
maybe they're kind of preventing all this because it's kind of dangerous to get into? Maybe. And maybe it's just kind of like back far enough to where nobody's really just out there looking for it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, something that's weird is earlier on, remember I said that Owen and Not, Owen and Not, yeah, Owen and Not meant Cave of the Cats. And uh, I got a little bit of a beef with that. I mean, I don't understand. Are they saying that cats are, are represent devils and stuff? I mean. Well, I, it immediately made me think of like, Black cats and, mm. you know, sort of that Halloween witches kind of thing. Yeah. Familiars. So apparently it's not just like a single cave. It's like a large cave system. And again, when we talk about things that potentially live there, like leprechauns and that kind of thing, they also believe that fairies live there. And I know you've heard Tyler go on and on about this. We're not talking gush about, about fairies. the Tinkerbell fairy. We're talking about... We will return after these messages. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. This is Joshua Cutchen, and you're at my home for weirdness. That would be rad. talking about the you know the fairies that could potentially ruin your life <laughs> they're not oh, necessarily yeah. nice right mm-hmm. yeah we're talking like pre cottingly style fairies like i think i think the um the the adding of like wings i even think all of that was was sort of you know mid 1800s mm-hmm. uh but everything before was just this sort of it was just a, a totally different kind of thing you know this is kind of interesting you know again this happened pre-written history but there were some stories that kind of survived one of them that they call a ghost story was about this hero named nira and i I think we may have talked about him when we talked about the uh fomorians oh i'm not sure but this in particular he basically followed an army of fairies into the other world when he got there so it and it was during like this Samhain time, right? And so it's mm-hmm. certainly almost everything's dead over there in terms of um, plant life. Okay, when he goes into the other world, it's summertime there, and he was able to escape. And when he did, he grabbed like a handful of summer flowers and came back, and he, he proved to the king that his story was true because he had this, like, handful of summer flowers that only grow in the summertime. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? That is cool. It, that kind of reminds me of the uh, the green children of Woolpit, mm. how they, you know, they claim that, like, the weather is, like, totally different where they were from and, uh, you know, inside the cave or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you're ready to take a shot of milk alcohol whatever your beverage of choice is Mm -hmm. you can do so now because i've been begging to do that topic on the show forever we definitely will do a a full future episode so i mean essentially that area and that cave was known for being the place maybe the entrance to where all these things would just like come out into the world and just Mm -hmm. like you said man i cannot help but think 
that it has something to do or is easily tied into the Fomorian stuff. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, you can't really talk about Halloween without talking about jack-o'-lanterns. I'm sure just like Halloween itself, we all can kind of assume, oh, well, I'm sure that came from old, you know, rituals and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whenever I accidentally stumbled upon this, I found this picture of an early jack-o'-lantern that might be the scariest thing I've ever seen. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, dude, it it is. I mean, it, it almost looks modern. Yeah, I know. In in the way of like, it's intentionally, it looks like it was intentionally made to be terrifying. I can tell you one thing. If we ever do like a scary movie, that's what the bad guy's going to be wearing. <laughs> just a giant turn. I mean, dude, it is just scary as heck, man. Yeah. I mean, it even has like carved like gums yeah, and, and like, teeth almost. Yeah, no, man. Oh, oh, it's very scary looking. Yeah. So the jack lantern itself obviously can you can kind of trace its origins to early Celtic rituals. And so the actual concept of using a round fruit or vegetable to depict a human face goes back again thousands of years into some of pre-Christian Celtic cultures of Northern Europe and Ireland, for example. It is said that it may even be or it may have had pre-Christian origins that evolved from these actual customs of head veneration or potentially even representing war trophies taken from their foes. Now, Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's hard for us, again, to imagine a time when, on such a small place like Ireland as well, relatively speaking, a lot of these tribes, these uh, groups, would fight each other and mm-hmm. I mean, you know, take home. Hey, hey, how was your day at work today? Uh, pretty good. Check this out. Plop. You got this guy's head as a war trophy, you know, instead of deer up on the wall, you got old, uh, I don't know what an Gary. Irish name is. Yeah, Gary Mc, 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 I don't know, McDonald. <laughs> 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 Oh, as long as it has Mick in front of it, it's like yeah, that's that's, it. it's Irish. Yeah, so, so prejudiced. Okay, um, so I mean, it's pretty dark, right? But it may have symbolized the severed heads of your enemies. Hmm. It took a deeper hold during the Kestel, the Celtic festival of Samhain, um, which again originally, or All Hallows Eve, modern day Halloween on October thirty first. Back when the they believed, you know, of course, that the spirits were kind of mingling with the living. They would also use this to ward off restless souls and um, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's also this sort of practicality to it, right? Because back then, any other kind of lantern, such as metal, would have been pretty expensive. And so people would, you know, use some creativity here, which I love, and hollow out these root vegetables. And eventually over time these historians have said that people started to carve faces and designs to allow light to shine through the holes without extinguishing the ember. A lot of these old school, (laughs) early jack-o'-lanterns, like the one we were talking about, you can actually see in real life in the National Museum of Ireland. And they've there's some of them are like plaster casts of carved turnip lanterns 
that were common during the early 1900s, they, they would also they would call them ghost turnips, and they have oh, like that cool. weird the weird teeth and sinister sort of like eye slits, and it's just you know man, uh, if I'm a demon, that would scare me away, you know. Absolutely. Here's something that I, that I didn't know actually. The origins of jack o' lanterns aren't just limited to root vegetables. They also the term also refers to people. According to uh, carve the heads of their enemies out. Yeah, in the 17th century in Britain, it was common to call a man whose name you didn't know Jack. So a night watchman, for example, became known as Jack of the Lantern or Jack o' Lantern. Mm, cool. There's also this 18th century Irish folktale of a guy called Stingy Jack. Have you heard this one? I've heard the name. Well, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Okay. He was an unsavory fellow, often said to be a blacksmith, who had a fondness for mischief and booze. I swear we've talked about this before. It does feel familiar. Mm. Dozens of versions kind of exist, but one recurring storyline is that Stingy Jack tricked the devil twice. Now, when Jack died, he then found himself sort of barred between heaven and hell. Mm, Yeah, yeah. But the old devil took some pity on old Jack and gave him an ember of coal to light his turnip lantern as he wandered between both places for all of eternity. Mm. Again, inspiring the nickname Jack of the Lantern or Jack-o'-lantern. Obviously, just like a lot of these things, it was, now I'm not saying that it is this, but it was used as a cautionary tale, a morality one, that Jack was a soul that was trapped between two worlds. And if Mm -hmm. he behaved like Jack did, you know, hit the booze a little too much, maybe only care about, uh, you know, being a blacksmith, then you could end up like old Jack too, trapped Mm -hmm. between those worlds. Yeah. So just like all this stuff, how did Halloween come here? How did how did we get a hold of these traditions from across the sea? Well, it actually wasn't that long ago, man, which is kind of crazy to think about as well. Essentially, in the 19th and early 20th century, a lot of these immigrants came to America and brought with them their folklore, which, man, I'm super grateful for. Oh, yeah. Because so many of the traditions that we hold, you and I especially, hold so dear, come as a result, as a byproduct, really, of that immigration into uh, into our country. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they took root pretty quickly, you know, even in American literature and, and media. Nathaniel Hawthorne, for example, referenced a jack-o'-lantern in 1835, his short story, The Great Carbuncle. Mm-hmm. And again in 1852 with his story Feathertop, which was about a scarecrow with a carved pumpkin head. And then, of course, you've got Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Classic. Which, by the way, it was not on Disney Plus last year, but... It may have been the year before that, because I remember thinking... Maybe it was. Should I watch it? Should I not watch it? Well, it's under, like, the something, something, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's, like, the whole thing. I think it's just, like, the last last section is Mm -hmm. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I feel like I try to get the kids to watch it, and they're like... Yeah, I tried several years ago too, which really sucks because, man, when I was a kid, that was, oh, was such obsessed, a. Dude. I mean, we would watch it at school every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was awesome. So, what I did instead was I was like, don't worry, kids. Tim Burton 
has a version. Let's put it on. I'm kidding. It's like rated R, which I also Oh, is it rated R? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember not loving it. There were some aspects that I liked, some aspects that I didn't. I wanted to, but it just wasn't. Well, and it's and it's neat to see how different things can evolve, right? So initially, it's something that is to ward off evil spirits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then it becomes a thing where it's like, well, people decorating for Halloween sort of uh, almost absentmindedly, right? They don't know the, the origins of it. It's just what we do every year. And then now it's taken on kind of a new meaning as well. I'll pose the question to you, Tyler. Mm-hmm. If you're out trick-or-treating. Yep. And you by myself, buy a kids house. are at home. Just by your house, just by yourself. You're dressed up, yeah. and you and you just like the only thing you have. The only difference is you've got like your blue light glasses, but you have like a piece of tape in the middle. Oh yeah, and then yep. a little name tag that says "Hi, I'm a," and then you just wrote in "nerd." Yep. And you just knock on the door. <laughs> it's nine o'clock on Halloween. Would you go to a house that has a jack o' lantern on or nothing at all? Uh, in other words, definitely on. Yeah, yeah, right. It's now sure. used almost as like a signal of, hey, we're oh, passing out candy yeah. here. Boom, right? And so like yeah. all these traditions, you can follow the evolution all the way back to the, the Irish hell caves where these evil spirits come out, allegedly. All the way to now, we're just doing these things that we kind of take for granted every single year that have now taken on a meaning of their own, you know? You're saying so it would be it would be kind of like the equivalent of turning on the bat signal and criminals being like, oh, the bat signal's on. Time to go do some crime. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I was saying that basically, uh, no. Okay. No, no, no. I'm saying that like now it means something different to us than its original origin, essentially. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Originally, it was to like ward off. It would be like to ward off criminals. Now it's like it would be the opposite. Well, I mean, I think they still are wanting to ward off demons. Now we're just attracting people that want candy. Yeah, but I'm saying you now yeah. we as people dressed as the monsters go towards the jack. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You see what I'm saying? Well, and then in that line of thinking, it's like if you were really trying to stay away from demons, if you're a demon, in other words, mm-hmm. you kind of got it made a little bit because now you can kind of hide amongst them. Oh, yeah, dude. And then you're now, in, oh, man, now you're inviting them. Your house, you know that is, uh, and now the now Blue Creek Baptist Church doesn't sound so crazy, does it? <laughs> the, there is the <laughs> that line of thinking still. I, I don't know. I, to me, it's like I just I love Halloween so much, so I just, you know, I I don't know. I, I'm not like thinking of like demons when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, when all the thought of Halloween and its nostalgia goes through my head. Yeah, I mean, I will be honest. I there are certain things that I like. I won't let my kids uh, do mm-hmm. or dress up as. You know, like I don't want them being something like super scary or gross. Is oh that, yeah, does that mean I'm a lame? No, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm, not that my two little girls would particularly want to do that. Although Elliot, my youngest, wants to be a vampire this year, so that's yeah, that's not bad. I mean, she's five, and yeah, no. I know. I think Jane really was a vampire even, once. Doesn't even know what a vampire really is. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of like um, what's what's the cartoon? Um, Vampirina. Well, that's not what I was thinking of, but yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. So, anyways, that's basically the origins of it all. The fact that there's this place known as the Irish Hell Cave. Yeah. If you Google it, 
you also kind of fall into this thing that I didn't know much about and I didn't want to talk about today, which was the the Irish, I think it's the Hellfire Club. Oh, yeah. Classic. And also a uh, also in the X-Men. Okay, so the Hellfire Club that I'm talking about is like underground weird sex thing. Y- yes, but it was sort of taken over by like the, I think like 60s or sort of aristocrats. Oh no no no! This would have been this would have been uh, like Victorian aristocrats. Yeah. Oh yeah, like old old men, and then just continues yeah. to this. Day. But then in the but then in the sixties, well, I guess maybe that is the X Men Hellfire version. Where in the sixties mm. they like dressed in like the wigs mm. and the tights and like the waistcoats and stuff. Hot, but pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I always find it fascinating to find out, you know, the lore and. Whenever I stumbled upon this place, it's kind of, it, it immediately, the first thing I think of is, okay, would I go inside that cave? Mm. Maybe if it wasn't Halloween, never during the month of October is my answer. What about you, Tyler? I mean, maybe, but then at the same time, it's like, I mean, if if it was on Halloween, like, it's kind of like the best time to go. I don't know. Dude, I, I'm I just a little immediately, more. I just immediately imagine it's almost like our most recent sort of D&D session where we're just like trying to infiltrate this sort of like casino or this gambling sort of oh, gosh. place. And I'm, my character is like this barbarian half orc so he's got this green skin he just dressed like conan the barbarian no shirt no armor and now he's wearing sort of like the equivalent of a you know medieval tux you know what i mean and right. he's just trying to fit in and, and so like i imagine tyler going in there and he's got this like kind of crappy like the red devil costume from um oh not child's but what's it called man uh, problem child. Problem child. <laughs> and he walks in, he's like, hey man, how you doing? You just like walking in trying to pretend like everything's fine. You're one of those, you're one of the guys, you know? Yeah. And they're like, you just like, <laughs> you just like sit down, you grab like, oh, an empty cup. Somebody's like pouring, like these demons are just like sitting around drinking like, all right, this is our night, guys. Here and we you just are. like sit down and you're like, here we go. And they're like, hmm? <laughs> oh man. Immediately get killed with a pitchfork. Yeah, I, I think I think if I happen to be in Ireland on Halloween, I would definitely get in that cave. I mean, I know you talk a big game on here, but you would. Really. Yeah, but, but I I'm believe. Not, I mean, I believe that you. I'm not. Would. I'm. I don't get like super scared of, about a lot of stuff like that. I don't get necessarily scared. Yes, I'm trying to make do. it into like a. You know, I'm like I'm not a scaredy cat. Okay, I'm not saying you cat, are the cave cat. Cats of caves. I mean, cats the cave, cave. Of cats. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just that there's like a certain line that I just don't, like, there's enough bad stuff in the world, man. I don't want to, like, go in there with my, you know, uh, fake pitchfork that does, like, the crazy lights like you get at Stone Mountain. But oh, yeah. It's just, like, lighting up, you know, those cheap swords and stuff. I oh, go yeah. in there, I'm like, how you doing, guys? All right? Yeah. Okay. Hey, guys. That's not an Irish accent. Uh-oh. Run. He's not Irish. He looks like an Italian. Slash Arab. Anyways, I'm not saying that uh, it's not. I'm not a scaredy cat. I just don't. I don't. I don't know, man. I would be screwed. Yeah, I would be too scared to go in there. I would not. You know. So 
So there you go. You win. Who's better? Okay. Well, well, what's cool is apparently, and we're going to leave this a little bit as as a cliffhanger, or should I say, cave hanger? Ooh, like it. Apparently, folks, this isn't the only type of place like this that exists in the Mm. world. Mm -hmm. And so, in a upcoming episode, we're going to explore those areas even further. Oh, absolutely. We've got such a good plan for shows this Halloween season and throughout our October Spooktacular. Uh, so come back next week and uh, and see what Woody's talking about. If you would like to find us on social media, head on over to Instagram for the bulk of our activity is. Leave us a comment, drop us a line, send us a DM with your own spooky story. If it's a long one, head on over to thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com or even better, our website, thatwouldberadpodcast.com where you can send in your own voice memo. And if you do it real quick, probably not, but it could be featured somewhere along the line or somewhere on the trail of our October Spooktacular. Buy us a coffee, buy some merch, join our Patreon, The Rabbit Trail. Uh, We'd love to see you. It's more of what you love. And uh, I guess that's about it. You got anything else, Woody? I think that's it, man. I got to get out there and get some candy. So we love you. We appreciate you. And as always... Be rad. That's the way it Wow.